Welcome back to the Stretch 4 Podcast. This is episode 15, and I'm your host, Matt Parker. This week on the show, I'm excited to have a repeat guest, Mr. Yanni Rubin, who I actually got a chance to meet last week while I was in Minnesota for a insurance conference of all places. Small how this world works. Yanni's company was presenting before mine. Uh, and we got a chance to meet in person. But you may remember Yanni from his appearance on episode 10 of the Stretch 4 podcast, where he shared his story about the new chip accelerator failure. So it was good to catch up in person. We got a great episode to to kind of display his interview and what he's doing with his company, Margin, M-R-G-N. That episode, episode 10, still remains our top performing episode to date. Uh, so go check that out if you haven't, episode 10 on the Stretch 4 podcast. Um, and in this episode, Yanni will share his experience and insights on the world of entrepreneurship and the companies he's building, uh, as well as, you know, ranging from topics around founder insights and things like that. Additionally, on the show, I'm going to be discussing the importance of building relationships and understanding the nuances of being in different geographies. Again, spent some time in the Midwest last week at the on-ramp insurance conference put on by Generator, learned a lot, and really, really, I think this conference will be a spark plug for some of the things I'm doing with Modern Tax specifically. So I want to share some insights there. As always, I'll be able to give you my takes on what I got coming up on my event calendar and announcements as we get ready to move into July. Uh, also, don't forget to subscribe to the Stretch 4 Substack newsletter, which is stretch4.substack.com. Check it out for exclusive insights. We do a weekly newsletter there. We do this weekly podcast, and we look to start to do more on that platform. Uh, and also, if you are enjoying this podcast, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast or Spotify uh, review sites. We've also launched a new Stretch 4 YouTube channel where you can go watch video clips as well as full podcast episodes uh, there on YouTube. So sit back, relax, got a power pack show today. Hope you enjoy it. This is Matt, the host of the Stretch 4 podcast. Let's get started. So getting into the show on the first founder learning of this episode, wanted to talk about a bit about being ruthless with your time. If you listen to this show, you know, become more of a time optimized person since I've had a son, but also running a startup, obviously managing this newsletter and this podcast medium. These things take time. And so for me, it's been very critical that I understand the time constraints to be able to deliver across many of these different areas of focus. And so wanted to jump into kind of a, a small segment this week just on kind of what I've been learning, obviously always improving my time management, but really being ruthless with your time, particularly as it relates to being at events, conferences, and other work-related things that kind of take you away from the day-to-day. -day. Uh, so obviously last week spent some time in Minnesota at an insurance conference uh, as a part of an accelerator program called Generator. It's my first time in Minneapolis, so really enjoyed Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Twin Cities. Uh, didn't really expect it to be as you know kind of big as it is, but a very uh, big metropolitan area. We actually had the conference at the Allianz Field, which is where the Minnesota United uh, MLS soccer team plays. So it was a unique place to even have a conference, but Allianz was one of the title sponsors as well, so that was all connected. But getting to the nitty-gritty, I think going to conferences is something that is a part of my life as a B2B uh, focused founder, 
many of the people who make decisions at the types of companies that we're trying to sell to are at events. But you have to be very strategic with first the event you go to and how you spend your time. Uh, so I really have come up with this four-step framework for how I approach it. And I'm trying to now kind of map it out for my team as we grow and try to distribute it across any of my professional uh, relationships. So if you have the ability to, and some some events have the ability to give you the list of people that are going to be attending, I think it's really, really essential to assess every possible interaction ahead of time. Uh, I would probably give myself a grade of like a six and a half out of 10 on this event, uh, generally because it was an event that I, kind of was, I didn't have a lot of planning before it. And the app that they used, which is the Brella app, which is pretty popular amongst events, isn't the greatest. It doesn't really give you a true uh, real-time record of where everybody's going to be, what people's schedules are. But I think really, really taking the time to do yourself or having someone for your team to map out your day, right? So like for this event specifically, I had a pitch session on the first day of the event, the second day I was hosting a panel. So those were the kind of two content items where I wanted to be on my best, you know, at, at my best, be my sharpest. So probably not having too much event events or meetings around that time was, was, was quintessential. I didn't really do too well. There it was a little bit, was right on time for my actual, my actual uh, panel discussion where I was a moderator. So it, it felt a little rush, but designing your schedule is super critical that second part of that is really having a team that can help you or one person that can help you really do a lot of deep outreach with all the event attendees that are relevant to you. Uh, I'm a big believer in being kind of a, a an outreach person, being very focused on the type of people you're trying to meet at these things uh, and kind of ignoring the rest of the noise because you're probably going to get a lot of inbound uh, generally from a, people who sponsor these events, they're generally sending out people to try to meet with everybody. I'm particularly more aggressive with trying to make sure that I'm meeting with the right people. And sometimes in the past, you know, I've had one of my team members go through the list. This event was so short cycle, didn't really have a lot of time to get that set up. Probably could have been a, more effect, a bit more effective with the scheduling. But that really leads me into the things you got to really prioritize hunted meetings versus the inbound because the inbound can get very, very noisy. People trying to sell you products. Most of the time it's like no harm, no foul, but it's people that are like, hey, we see your name on the list. And, and one of the things you got to understand is as an early stage founder, you maybe aren't in the position financially to sponsor these events, but you will be you're the product. Essentially, companies like OnRamp in this particular event generator, which I want to do a whole deep dive on kind of what they do, because it's a pretty fascinating business that they built out here in kind of middle America. You know, they're they're selling these partnerships and these sponsorships to these enterprise companies. So these enterprise companies, you know, even as I was hosting the panel, you know, you, I sit on a panel as a startup founder, but I'm interviewing folks and, and, and you know, talking to people at large companies like State Farm and Gin you know, and, and Swiss RE and, and these in all state, every big, big brand and insurance was at this conference. And so you have to understand that there's three real people that attend these conferences, at least in the startup sector. You have your startups, which are people that are venture back companies or bootstrap companies or companies very in the early stages trying to sell their product, trying to figure out product market fit, just trying to figure out where they live. 
the second second part of this, which is super critical, is you have the large corporations. So in this particular conference, you had Allianz as a master sponsor, yet Securian Financial was a big sponsor, and they sent out analytics teams, data teams, CVC teams. And so they're, those are kind of like a unique arm because they are usually the, the the bank for these conferences. Like that's how they actually, you know, how we can come to these conferences as startup founders for free and present and do things like that. So you have to understand the kind of hierarchy of how it's designed. And then lastly is the vendors. So the vendors that are maybe not startups, but are trying to sell their product to startups uh, are going to be there. And so as a startup founder, you got to initiate the relationships and the conversations that you want to have, and you have to be proactive. And then lastly, kind of what I do typically and try to do it same day at the end of the conference or the next day is do a deep debrief rate myself across all these areas that I master every possible interaction. What did I leave on the table? Who were the people that I didn't talk to that I probably should have reached out to? Have my team go through any kind of follow-ups. Some events give you lists. Like I went to the Finnovate event in San Francisco about a month ago. And, you know, I got a list of all the people that came to our presentation, came to our booth. Uh, So you work through those lead lists You know, you want to make sure that how did you do on hunting down meetings like of the meetings that you tried to book? What was your percentage? You know, what was the reason why, you know, maybe you didn't get all the meetings you wanted? Were were you not presenting yourself? Like I felt a lot about this conference is, you know, we're just going into the insurance industry. It's a different industry. It's a different world. And we're very new to it. So there's going to be a lot more time I need to spend on research, understanding like the true value proposition of our product within an insurance organization. So those are all things that I'm trying to grade myself on. But the old, the underlying theme is you got to be ruthless. So many founders that I even meet with and talk with, even at this conference, just, you know, are wasting so much time, either admittingly that they're wasting time or just indirectly not knowing like where they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to be optimizing for, why they're even in the building. And time is very much of the essence. So it's super critical to have a, a plan and a game plan for execution and mastering and being super ruthless with their time, which means a lot of times telling people no and really trying to hunt down those exact people you want to meet with and spend quality time with. But uh, that's my first learning of this show. And I think I would love to hear feedback on how you, if you're a founder or you're a business person and you attend a lot of these events, how do you set it up? How are you strategic about it? Definitely shoot me an email, matt at stretch4.co, as we're trying to learn more and try to create these frameworks for early stage companies to get the best out of events, because I think they're super critical. Last part on that, I think one of the biggest resources that really kind of tipped the iceberg for me or pushed me over the the ledge with this and being super optimized with my time was a book called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. It was a book I read last year. It was It's a life book, but I think it really helped me as a founder to kind of really, really realize like how limited time is, right? And, you know, the, the premise of the book is that we have about 4,000 weeks as we live. And so how are we going to be uh, efficient with those weeks and those hours and those days? And as you you add to your responsibilities, like for me, now I'm a parent, and a husband, you think much more about how you spend your time. Like in my 20s, like time optimization wasn't really a thing. In my 30s now, it's 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 becoming more and more critical that, that you do 
expend your time wisely. So I'd recommend that resource for any founder out there that's trying to either start a company or just trying to be more thoughtful about how they manage their time. So as you all know, I'm preparing for a half marathon. This month has really been a tough month, I would say, for being active and getting my miles. So I'm really in a tough spot. I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling the greatest about it. You know, I, even, I haven't even signed up for it. I'm going to sign up for it this week, actually, when I that's one thing on my to-do list. But SF Half Marathon, really, really not feeling the most energy towards doing this right now, just because I've been, I, I'm a pre- preparation person and I'm like, I haven't really been running a lot of miles. I think this month, June has been travel. You know, me and Whitney took a, a quick getaway to uh, Indian Springs for our um, second anniversary, as well as Father's Day and just some time to get away without our son, Kane. So didn't really do much uh, in Indian Springs. The week before that, I was down in L.A. for the L.A. Tech Week. Uh, So I worked out, but didn't really get any long distance runs there. And then last week uh, I was in Minnesota for a conference and I only got a little bit of activity, right? Conferences, you're running around, you're doing stuff. Uh, You're also jet lag from going from the West Coast to the Midwest. So really falling off, falling off the the market, you know, last month I had a pretty, uh, you know, big mileage month for myself. This month, really, really not hitting the bar. So, man, I'm really looking for ways to get back on track. I need to find a quick month prep to just get your legs ready for a 13 miler. But it's been tough. It's just been tough managing. And, I, and, and I'm really like I read book on running. I'm like trying to adapt And every every Saturday or every Sunday until my LA trip, I was hitting a big run and it just kind of fell off the cliff. So I need some encouragement. So if you're on a stretch, you listen to the stretch Four podcast, uh, I need some encouragement to get ready for this big race to, to try to just get my body in the mindset of, uh, you know, cause really it's a mind over matter thing. I mean, I don't think I'll have any problems physically completing the race. It's just getting my mind in the right proper focus to try to perform because it's all about performance for me like I don't want to just run it for the sake of running it I do want to try to run it at a at a certain mile percentage but it takes preparation so got a month left hopefully they'll get a couple more big practice runs in before but I'm in July in San Francisco is not the greatest weather so that's also going to be a barrier of, of of entry to that right it's just some days just super foggy super windy and you're not really going to really have the best climate but endurance and pushing it so I'm just going to listen to some David Goggins podcast get off my ass go run uh, and try to figure it out but I definitely am feeling a little bit out of sync when it comes to this running And I need some intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. So if you're out there, shoot me some encouragement, shoot me some bail, help me out. I'm trying to get through this and and get ready for this race here in July. Last segment for today's show, uh, recording this, actually getting ready for an NBA draft. So want to want to leave it at that but hopefully my hornets are going to make it the right pick at number two i'm thinking it looks like 
as as much information as we have out there, it's going to be Scoop Henderson with the number two pick, which I'm fine with. I like Scoop Henderson. I think he's going to be potential all-star. So I want us to go ahead and make that pick. But lastly, uh, you know, finishing up recent trip here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minneapolis, to be specific, which is a very sleepy part of 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 the Twin Cities, right? Minneapolis, the city is is vibrant and probably one of the more in the summertime coolest cities I've been to with all the stuff going on with sports. You got baseball, you got Taylor Swift is performing back to back shows. So pretty crazy being here and, and being in Minnesota. But one thing I did learn being at a conference is, you know, I had the opportunity to attend this conference, which is the on ramp on ramp conference sponsored by generator and so i have some announcements around generator here uh, in about a month or so that i'll make on the podcast but participating in this event was my first time really coming to uh, the midwest for business i believe i don't think i've ever came to like the midwest for a conference i've come for fun Lollapalooza in chicago me and whitney took like a two-week getaway in chicago during the during the pandemic just to kind of get out of san francisco so i've always got love for the midwest but i primarily would go to chicago now i'm set up to come here a couple times here for the rest of the remaining part of the year but all all in on this conference really my biggest takeaway was you know how critical specific industries are when it comes to uh, relationships and just being in a place that I've never been before, but, you know, obviously having built relationships with people in the Midwest around kind of the business that we're building with Modern Tax, we're selling into insurance companies. Many of the large insurance carriers all have major operations in the Midwest from Allstate in Chicago, uh, Principal Financial Group down in Des Moines, Iowa, Alianza and Securian here in Minneapolis. Uh, so it's a very, very uh, vibrant place for the insurance sector. And so coming out, was real eye-opening to me. And I, I really learned about the geography di- differentiation factor. You know, coming from the Bay, coming from Silicon Valley, where everything is always growth, 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 very transactional in, in many ways around like everybody talks about in San Francisco, what's your valuation now? It's like, what's your growth rate or what's your AI feature or what are you doing around that? So those things have kind of transitioned the approach, so to speak. And for me, I realized like the key takeaway is the importance of these relationships here and how they're different, right? I remember a specific customer that we actually didn't close. So, you know, they didn't become a customer yet. And I remember over kind of a 12 month process doing multiple Zoom calls with their team, talking to their company executives, as well as like operators within the organization. And coming to this conference, ironically, the first interaction I had was with someone who had worked at that company for eight years lived there in that city and town and just was giving me all these fascinating stories about how how different it is than other places and that, you know, the CEO of this company goes to a burger spot where they sell like $7 burgers and he'll sit down with you and talk with you for hours. And I always felt when I was like pitching this company, it, it felt so kind of weird, you know, like in this Zoom world that we live in now where it is a reality that a lot of business happens through Zoom. But I think there was a false narrative that we, as startup accelerator, you know, venture type businesses started to assume that like Zoom was a default way to communicate with people. And it never really was, but we built that world because in, in, in Silicon Valley, what happened was more and more people had to use the technology and tools that 
we see, right? I'm using Riverside to record this podcast. And like that became like the way you communicated because of what was going on with COVID. But we realized in the Midwest, it was never really like that, right? Like people still would get together and meet up. Maybe, maybe they were outside. And I even remember going to Chicago, middle of the pandemic, super large city, me and Whitney. And it was the best experience for us because we were kind of like trapped away in our houses in San Francisco uh, for months. And then you go to Chicago in the summertime where they only have three to four months of that warm weather. They were doing everything possible to be outside and be amongst people and, and keep interactions flowing. And so I really felt that vibe being at this conference that a lot of times I think founders, we get on ourselves about not closing deals, not hitting numbers, going through the dog and pony show with organizations where we're just doing Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom call. And we realize like the reason the deal hasn't closed is because we haven't got on a flight to just go meet these people or we haven't really made the initiative and the priority of being with the people that we're trying to work with and we're trying to sell to. And so that was an eye opening encounter for me. And it underscored the real importance of understanding how sales cycles work in a relationships type business. I think a lot of businesses relationships, but in the in the Silicon Valley ecosystem, there is a bit of like, you're the hot company. So you're going to get respect. Not that you're the cool guy or everybody knows you. It's like, you're the hottest thing in co company right now. So people care about you. But when you're not the hottest company and you still need to build a business, uh, it's a lot harder in the Valley because people don't really attract to you. But in places like the Midwest, the relationships are built around doing long-term business. So it may be hard to get that initial flywheel going, but once you get it going, it's hard to lose it. But a lot of it, the velocity is built face-to-face. -face. So I think founders uh, really got to be aware of this as you're approaching different industries and different markets, specifically now if you're selling up marketing, you're selling B2B, uh, these relationships really, really help improve the sales cycles and the incentives to to succeed. Building these relationships in person is almost quintessential in some of these industries. And you can overcome a lot of challenges and take advantage of these opportunities by just getting on a flight, going to meet with somebody, going to spend a week in a place that you probably would never go spend a weekend unless you were trying to work with a company that's based there. I think it goes a long distance and I underrated it. And I think now I got to make up for it in a few in a few relationships that I've been harboring and building over the past 18 months. So that's my last uh, hot take of the week. Uh, not really a hot take, but just some general advice. Uh, next up, we have a guest. We have Mr. Yanni Rubin, who actually got to meet out in Minnesota. Yanni was a guest on episode 10. So he's here to talk about his company margin, what he's building and some of the insights that he's had as a founder as he's going through this process. So hope you enjoy the episode. Again, it's Matt Parker, host of the Stretch Four podcast, where you can get this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and now YouTube. Uh, so excited to see all of you folks leave us reviews and give us feedback on the show and how we can improve it and building the best founder podcast out there for founders building B2B companies. Thanks a lot. Welcome back to the Stretch Four Podcast. I am your host, Matt Parker. I am here today with a special guest. We are joined by Yanni Rubini, who is the founder and CEO of a machine learning startup called Margin. He helps small businesses overcome some of their biggest financial challenges. He supported over $250 million in fundraises in his, in his past life. 
He's also a big fan of the David Metzer podcast and the book Court Courage to be Disliked. Yanni, thank you so much for joining the show and joining us. Also, you're our first, second time uh, guest as we had you back on episode nine talking about the new chip accelerator bankruptcy. Today, we're focused on you in a little bit more positive light. Uh, Yanni, how are things going? Uh, things are going fantastic. Going into the Memorial Day weekend. Thank you so much, Matt, for having me, and uh, I'm excited to be here. Great, great. Well, Yanni, let's jump right in. So you mentioned uh, to me, we're getting acquainted, that you, you've helped companies raise or you've raised something like $250 million. Maybe talk to our audience, mainly founders. What was that experience like? What did that entail? And how have, your, how have you kind of built your career as a, as a startup founder? And, and I know you were a mentor previously. How did that all work? You got it. Yeah. So I've spent about 15 years as a startup COO between uh, biotech companies, consumer-based companies, B2B, B2C, SaaS primarily when it, was tech, when it was more software tech. Earlier on, what I did was I broke into kind of the operations field uh, by becoming the chief of staff to a CEO lucky enough that the CEO had uh, was basically just taking his company public, which was really cool to go through. And so I was more of a, you know, I was a soldier. I was a gopher, but I was also a fly in the wall. I learned a tremendous amount. And from there, just built my career on top of a, a business operations. I'm all about how to, you know, efficiency, how to make things more smooth, more streamlined, more efficient, saving money and, and still getting the same output, if not, a, if not a better output. So when I was with that company initially, the, we had raised probably about 175 million, both in public and private placements. So that's when a uh, when a publicly traded company solicits capital, either publicly or privately. And then I moved over to software. That was a biotech company. And then I moved over to software, where I supported another approximately 75 million, if not more, in fundraising. So as an operations professional, that's how it came about. But my my part in the process is not to pitch in front of uh, in front of investors. It is now because I'm a CEO, but in the past, it was all about the analysis and due diligence behind the scenes. It was all about <clears throat> coordinating road, road shows, dealing with the SEC investment banks, designing pitch decks, running M&A analysis, all sorts of fun stuff like that that taught me everything that I could possibly know. Granted, I'm also learning every day, but it was just such a learning experience that I, uh, I, I only have my bosses to thank for. So that's how I broke into it. And so you went on those road shows and helped with those presentations. Uh, how has the investment landscape changed today? I know you're now working at the early stage as opposed to working previously like you were in those larger scale deals. How have things changed today? Um, and, and what do you think founders should understand about the investment landscape as, it, as they look to get started or as they look to exit their company? That's a brilliant question because a lot has changed over the last several years, but uh, in just the general landscape, but also in terms of uh, the first part of your question and my perspective and how I came from more institutional funding and moved into more, uh, more venture-backed funding. So the funny story is actually I started my business about three years ago. And we, uh, we, we've created a machine learning-based platform for small businesses. What I did coming out of the gates was I designed probably a 50 or 60-slide uh, pitch deck uh, with forward-looking disclaimer, uh, uh, forward-looking statement disclaimers, and other jargon and mumbo-jumbo that you only really see in 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 the regulated world, in the high, I should say, the highly regulated world. And so it was a bit of a culture shock initially to be told like, hey, you got to cut down these 50, 60 slides to 12. Take out all the legalese. Can't be telling the full story. You want you have to invoke questions and conversation, and uh, or I should say, evoke questions and conversation. 
uh, and it's just a whole different ballgame. It's much more about it's much more about the rapport and the relationship with the investor now. Granted, the relationship is always important, but when you're raising institutional capital, the economics are much more important at that point. So I had a bit of a culture shock at that point. One of the things that's changed in the landscape generally over the last several years, a couple of things actually. Number one is the advent of the pre-seed round. So basically angel rounds, traditionally it was angel seed, series A, series B. Company, there, were, there are, have been so many startups in the space. There are 72,000 aspiring venture-backed startups in the U.S. right now. And so they had to fit themselves in a bucket. And when they didn't fit perfectly in the angel round or the seed round, the pre-seed round was born. And so that's a big change as of the last uh, probably five to seven years. And then a big, another big change is you used to be able to raise capital based an idea. If not an idea, maybe a pitch deck. And if not a pitch deck, maybe an MVP, which is, the, which is prototype in tech terms, minimally viable product. These days, none of that suffices, absolutely none. You have to have what's called MRR, monthly recurring revenue. You have to show that your product is going to generate revenue. And that is how particularly VCs, but also angels are viewing successful uh, startups these days. So that's been a big shift over the last several years as well. And you, you mentioned a bit about, you know, 72,000 or so, these seed stage, pre-seed stage, you know, there's been a very strong proliferation of new startup companies. I mean, I live in Silicon Valley and it seems like there's probably tens of thousands of startups starting every month or every year, at least. Can you share more about what you're doing with margin, specifically around machine learning? Obviously, AI has become very impactful, but with that large amount of companies, helping companies both sift through the opportunities to fundraise, as well as helping venture capitalists and investors sift through the opportunities seems to be like an opportunistic play. And you're focused on small businesses. So tell me how you're leveraging this data to, or are there a specific model that you're leveraging to help uh, these early stage small businesses that are trying to raise money? Sure. Yeah, sure. So we'll start off by saying that Margin does not only address the 72,000 tech startups out in the U.S. right now, but the 30 million small to medium businesses in the U.S. Eventually, we will also go international. We already have some international partners. And so uh, generally, you want to extrapolate a, a, a three-time multiple uh, when you're going international in terms of the market size. So there are a lot of small businesses out there. I think that going through the pandemic just reinforced what we've heard for years around small business really being the backbone of our society and not just uh, American society, but human beings and the race as a whole. You know, if Walmart disappeared, we would go to our local neighborhood stores. If the local neighborhood stores would disappear, then half of the cities in the U.S., as an example, would have no access to those uh, to those products. Uh, and so, super super important segment. Now, I'll I'll just say an interesting kind of dichotomy that we've seen in the uh, investment space, in particular, is. VCs, institutional investors, love to see long, very long and large contract values uh, within the portfolio companies that they invest in, meaning they want to invest in companies that, that are, are serving large enterprises that can pay hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for a single contract, which might span a year, three years, five years. And what that does is it, it, it more ensures and guarantees uh, revenue, which hedges their bets, hedges the bets of the investors. As a result, the small business space has been heavily, heavily neglected for years, for years, because small businesses have a tough time surviving. In fact, the average lifespan is between 18 and 24 months. And within that time period, 90% of small businesses and startups fail, which is wild. Turns out 82% of them are failing, not because they don't know their business. Like, for example, they don't know the hardware store owner doesn't understand hardware. The pizza shop owner doesn't understand pizza. 
In fact, they understand everything they need to know about the ingredients, about the parts and the equipment and so on and so forth. The part they don't have understand as much about is the actual technical business side of things, the KPIs, OKRs, where their business is headed, optimizing inventory, uh, inventory management, when to hire properly, when to not, when to raise capital if necessary, when to take out a bank loan and so on. And so that's what margin comes in uh, to really solve. And so initially what we did was, and by the way, stop me at any point, but yeah, I would love, love to know, do you, do you yeah. have like a demonstration you could show that, uh, available or is that something someone could get if we linked it here in the show notes? Yeah. So we have a, an open demo. It's a demo.margin.ai and margin is spelled M-R-G-N. So demo.margin.ai, you can feel free to go tinker around with it, or you can just log in and create an account for free and you'll get a more full featured experience. You only have to start paying later on if you start using certain features. So uh, feel free to go nuts on the free plan. But what the platform does is it very quickly, within a few seconds, creates what's called either a budget, a financial model, or an operating plan for a small business. Simply just using basic principles around building financial models these days. It's tailor-made to your specific revenue model. So if you're a commerce or retailer, maybe a brick-and-mortar store or an e-commerce website, then you choose that path. If you're a professional service firm, then you choose that one, and we're going to give you a slightly different experience so that everything is tailor-made for you. And that only takes about 15, 20 seconds just to onboard and get your budget. Right when you're done, what we provide you and what really our value proposition is that we provide you with a very robust suite of simulations. So what if you do have to take that bank loan out? What if you do have to cut your staff or double your staff? And maybe you have a seasonal business and you have to hire a bunch of people. There's about 15 to 20 different scenarios that you can actually simulate on our platform in a matter of literally a click or two. And what we're building now, which we just recently provisionally, uh, provisionally patented, is the machine learning side of things, where instead of, now, for example, now you know your customer acquisition costs, your gross margin, and other KPIs. You know when you want to hire. You know when you might need to raise capital. But what if we could contextualize all of that within the economy and we can tell you, hey, it's not a great time to raise capital because of these factors. Or this is how your customer acquisition cost compares to other customer acquisition costs of those within your specific industry vertical. Meaning this is how good your business is doing or how bad it's doing and then this is how you can fix it. And so that is all done using a machine learning model that basically pulls data from, the, from external sources. Think the Gartners, the Foresters, and the Crunch Spaces of the world and compares it to your data. And as we pull new and new information, the model learns more about your specific company and is able to give you more pointed insights. So that's all about margin. Um, we've got a fantastic team, a fantastic platform, very prominent board of directors, and uh, we're doing terrific. We're actually in talks right now with several municipalities throughout the U.S., a lot of major, major franchise brands that we, uh, that we, uh, that we encounter every single day in our day-to-day -day lives. So that's what we're working on these days. And so kind of picking up there, you're working with the small business sector. So maybe maybe walk us through kind of what the life of like what the current solution set is for, say, a franchisee, you know, like they're working and they, you know, say I own a five guys or something like that. Can you discuss maybe some of the common challenges those businesses face that are maybe different than, you know, the typical startup venture back company? How do you guys kind of assimilate your product to help help them overcome those challenges? Yeah, so unfortunately, the uh, we'll call it the FP&A or the financial and operational oversight space for small businesses hasn't really existed for for as long as we can imagine. An average small business, if they want to build a budget, which they should be, is probably using something like a spreadsheet, whether it's Excel or Google Sheets, 
If they're a little more advanced, they might be using QuickBooks, but all QuickBooks has is really a, it's kind of a spread feed in the cloud. And where what they do is they pull in your, uh, your historical spend, you put, you input your forecasted spend and it'll show you your, uh, the variances between them, which is not, not a huge help, particularly for small business owners who just don't understand what they're doing there. And so today there, there's no sufficient tool set whatsoever. So that means that a small business owner needs to learn how to use a spreadsheet, learn things like for, uh, formulas, pivot tables, and all sorts of technical things about, about using Excel and Google Sheets. Once they figure that out, then they have to learn about a little bit about finance and, and management. What KPIs do I want to display? What is net income? What is EBITDA? How do I calculate these things? And it takes hours and hours and hours of work to figure that stuff out, if not a finance degree. And so a platform like Margin allows them to not just forget about all of that, but learn about it, right? So they forget about the pain points around it. We do it all for them, but we also teach them along the way. And so that's what we're, we're kind of bringing the entire FP&A space for the small business sector into the 21st century now um, because they just haven't had anything sufficient until now. Makes sense. Makes sense. We'll definitely link to your your product in the show notes. So just playing around with the staging environment or the demo environment a bit. So moving into another segment on the show, though I saw that you were a guest on, I believe it was David Meltzer's podcast. You referenced the courage to be disliked as one of your top resources. Uh, maybe talk a bit about those resources and how they've influenced your career, your leadership style, and how you approach uh, running your business. Yeah. So David Meltzer, a lot of people know his name. A lot of people don't, but he was a uh, one of the founding members of the Lee Steinberg Sports Management Company, which is uh, the uh, the agency that um, that was uh, what was the name of the movie with Cuba Gooding Jr. and uh, and Tom Cruise? Show me the money. I'm blanking on the name of the movie, but that was uh, that was actually based on on David Meltzer's agency and Lee Steinberg. So and I feel terrible for forgetting that name. We synced up. Jerry along, Maguire was the movie. Jerry that? Maguire. Jerry Maguire, thank you very yeah. much. So we, uh, David and I synced up a while back, and he loved what we were working on. We've always looked up to him, and so he invited us very quickly onto his uh, onto his podcast. He's just he's self-made. He's a magical, fantastic human being, full of energy. He's a big, big football fan. He actually works at a SoFi Stadium in L.A. I'm a big Miami Dolphins fan. We clicked on that level, and uh, and he's just terrific. So. The way the, the man just like built his career is, is something to really envy. So he was a big influence. And then uh, The Courage to be Disliked is a very, very interesting book that tells you all about how you can kind of change your mindset. So a lot of people feel stuck in ruts, right? A lot of people get depressed when it's not necessarily clinical depression. A lot of people don't necessarily know how to deal with the, uh, the blows and punches of life. And this book teaches you that it's all about your emotional reaction to whatever it is that you're encountering that is going to dictate how you persevere or fall. And so uh, as long as you're in the right mindset and you understand that you are the, you control your own destiny, then you're going to get a lot out of that book. It's a tremendous, tremendous resource. I haven't picked up yet, but I've heard it from multiple people as a great resource. Uh, so definitely uh, need to yeah. check out check out the courage to be disliked. Other other questions here. We try to keep our podcast focused obviously on the business that folks are building for you know for entrepreneurs, founders, but we also think about the lifestyle and the wellness aspect as well. As we know that performance is key to be a high performer, 
in the boardroom. You need to be a high performer in some facets where lifestyle is concerned. So you gave yourself a rating of an eight out of 10. I'd love for you to unpack what is your, you know, what does your day look like? You know, how does, how is your life set up to, to kind of be the best you can be on a day-to-day basis? Is there, are there any kind of specific wellness routines or things you do that you think give you an advantage against, uh, you know, against all the adversity that we get as founders, both from trying to raise money, both from dealing with customers, selling, trying to get customers, building out our teams, running our teams, managing our teams, all those things have different stressors. Do you have any particular tips or specific habits that you, or rituals that you practice uh, that you think keep you, keep you active and keep you going? Yeah. So I recently saw an interesting movie that I think everybody needs to watch. It's called The Disruptors. It's a documentary about both average everyday people as well as celebrities that suffer from ADD. And suffer is basically, the, the movie is all about how the word suffer shouldn't be used in that context. So I was diagnosed with ADD a long, long, long time ago when I was a kid. And what I did was I figured out, and this is what, is what the movie is all about, is how to take that ADD and turn it into a superpower. Basically, how to lean into your deficiencies, call them a deficiencies if you want, um, and make them really more of uh, of superpowers that help you in, in whatever it is you need. So I am not a nine to fiver. I work 24-7. Whenever work calls, I will be there because I am a night owl. I um, My operations experience has been fantastic for my ADD because I don't have to sit in front of the computer all day and I don't have to be doing anything physical all day. I can be doing both. I can hop from the computer. I can go out and, you know, tour an office space, come back to the computer and just constantly pivot between different things. And it's it really feeds into the way that I work. And so pulling that together with my operations background, everything in my life has been automated, basically. So one of the things that I do is, first of all, I live by my calendar. If it's not in my calendar, I will not be there. Everything has to be in my calendar. I basically got to a point in my career where trying to remember my meetings was just not going to happen. And this was before the time of Zoom links and and, uh, even before I needed to be on conference bridges and things like that, where those were things that you knew you weren't going to memorize. Just knowing that I have to be at the doctor's office tomorrow, it doesn't help me. It needs to be in my calendar. So I recommend to everybody to religiously use a calendar. The second thing I did was I, I scanned and I uh, uploaded all PDFs of everything in my life into the cloud in a very, very structured and organized way. If my laptop or phone fall out the window or into the water, I don't really worry about that. Aside from financially, obviously, I don't want to lose my laptop. All of my stuff is backed up in the cloud. It is fantastic. It makes my life so much easier. Using password managers as well or is a must, an absolute must. And so that is mechanically or tactically how I manage my day. But as an operations person and now as a CEO of Margin, I don't have any two days really that look alike. So you got to think operations people generally balance or juggle a lot of different things. So one day you might be working on HR, one maybe one minute you might be working on HR. The next minute might be in, it might be in legal. Maybe it's in production and manufacturing. Then it's procurement and all different areas of the business. And so it's not like I wake up in the morning and I sit in front of my laptop and I do the exact same thing that I did yesterday. I'm not, I don't know, reconciling books, for example, or designing graphics every single day. And so that's what my my day-to-day is just completely dynamic, very different. I'll work at three in the morning, sleep during the day if I need to, and then I'll work through the entire night if I need to. So that's that's how I get along. Uh, and it works for me perfectly. You need to have a partner, assuming you want or ha- and or have a partner in life that understands that dynamic. It's very, very important. 
and thankfully my wife is super super supportive of my ways that's a very good good segue into parenting or not parenting but marriage and and having that partner how, how do you how do you how do you combine that because i mean i think in my life in my household your way doesn't work not that you know my wife but she understands you know we have a young son you know work is something that always is kind of ongoing but you have to have a reach a point where it shuts off but i do have somewhat of a structured i'm typically trying to be in bed by from between nine and ten then i'm trying to be up between five and six and then i'm usually in the gym early and then get back to the house. How does it work with you and your, your dynamic? What do you mean by that? You have a partner that deals with you being up at 3 a.m. or understand your kind of sporadic time timelines? Yeah, so I'll start off with the fact that I do my best work after hours. During regular nine to five, I'm getting emails, I'm getting Slack messages, WhatsApps, iMessage everywhere. All day, I can't concentrate on a single thing. When five o'clock, six o'clock hits, I know that most of my team and everybody else that I'm dealing with or interacting with is probably taking a step back from their computer. And that's when I really dig in. And that could be at five, six, could be nine, 11, two in the morning, whatever it is. Now in my household, my wife and I like our quality time. So we're making dinner together. We're watching success and we're watching billions. We're watching a lot of, you know, Ted Lasso. And we watch that stuff religiously together so that we can have that quality time together. And then when she goes to sleep around 10, 11 o'clock, that's when I sign. Now, in terms of the dynamic of the relationship, you're 100% right. My wife would love for me to come to bed at the same time with her every single night. We actually will read together uh, before we go to sleep, uh, watch movies, do all sorts of things. But it's very rare that we do it together now because of work, simply. And so over time, she's become more and more tolerant and then more supportive of my work-life balance uh, because he realizes it's what's necessary to be a, a founder in the tech space. That makes sense. Well, Yanni, it's been great to, uh, to, to, to chat with you on this interview, kind of lastly, and what we do with each, each guest, just give you a chance to particularly shout out any, we call them church announcements, but basically anything you got going on, where you could be found at on uh, Twitter or on any of the, the, any other social media platforms. And then obviously, Anything you want to say there about margin or any kind of upcoming opportunities there? Yeah, for sure. So uh, on, find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Uh, I'm not a big Twitter user, although I am there. Facebook a bit, not very much. TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, or the rest of that stuff. Just my name, Yoni Rubin, Y-O-N-I-R-U-B-I-N. In LinkedIn, you'll find a picture of my, myself with my COVID beard and my uh, and a man bun. I do not look like that any longer. CEO of Margin, obviously, so it'll be pretty easy to find. And then I would say football season is close, uh, is coming up. So uh, everybody get ready. Check us out at Margin, M-R-G-N.ai. Free to start and, and play with the platform. What else? The world is in a wild place right now. And regardless of your opinion, be tolerant, be considerate of other people. Understand that not everybody lives the same life as you do. And be nice. Just try to do one nice thing every single day for someone else, maybe a stranger. I find that helps me a lot in my own personal happiness. And that's it. I appreciate you having me, Matt. But before we hop off, Matt, I'm going to flip the script on you just for one second. So we now know you're in California. You're married. You have one kid. What's something nobody knows anything uh, about, about you? me? I mean, we, my wife actually were ex expecting our second child. We announced that on Mother's Day. So the, the world <laughs> is now aware. I haven't Amazing. announced it on the podcast, but this is the official announcement on the podcast. So that's one thing. 
that's going to be changing going from one to two children is going to be definitely a, you know, an experience. And so learning a lot of managing children and managing startups is very, very complicated, but it's a very, very beautiful experience. And, and I'm always in for new things. So that's something new that the, the podcast hasn't, the podcast audience hasn't heard yet. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Congratulations on that. Great, Yanni. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, this is the Stretch 4 Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Parker, here with Yanni Rubin, CEO of Margin. That's M-R-G-N dot A-I. That's it for the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Matt.